Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles up, open up to 1 Samuel chapters 12 and 13. We're going to read now. We've already heard some of the text, but we're going to read here in just a moment from verses 5 through 15 of chapter 13. So we're going to look at chapters 12 and 13. You want to be open there, but for now we'll want to be in verses 5 through 15 of the 13th chapter. As you're opening there, let me just say a word of gratitude to my Wonderful associate pastor, Woody Turner, who did a marvelous job last Sunday. I've heard enough about it at this point, and uh, did such a good job. No, I'm just kidding. It was great. And uh, uh, did such a good job uh, last week in my stead, and I'm so grateful for Woody and what a faithful man he is and a wonderful leader and a great preacher. And we're so blessed uh, to have a staff full of great preachers. So if you have your Bible open to 1 Samuel chapter 13, we're going to read verses 5 through 15. Why don't you go ahead and stand with me out of reverence for the reading, the words of our God. The author writes, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, such a way that as the words on this page are being read, God himself is speaking to us, beginning in verse 5. And the Philistines mustered to fight with Israel. 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen in troops like the sand on the seashore in multitude. And they came and encamped at Michmash to the east of beth When the men of Israel saw that they were in trouble, for the people were hard-pressed, the people hid themselves in caves and in holes and in rocks and in tombs and in cisterns. And some Hebrews even crossed the fords of the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead, Saul was still at Gilgal, and all the people followed him, trembling. He waited seven days, the time appointed by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal. And the people were scattering from him. So Saul said, bring the burnt offering here to me and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering, and as soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. And Saul went out to meet him and greet him. And Samuel said, What have you done? And Saul said, Well, when I saw that the people were scattering from me and that you did not come within the days appointed and that the Philistines had mustered at Michmash, I said, Now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal and I have not sought the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, You have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord, your God, with which he commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people. Because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. And Samuel arose and went up to Gilgal, went up from Gilgal, The rest of the people went up after Saul to meet the army. They went up from Gilgal to Gibeah of Benjamin. And Saul numbered the people who were present with him, about 600 men. Let's pray together. O Lord our God, would you open our hearts and minds today to receive your word. And God, it's my prayer that we would be changed by it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. It was really a great phone call. I was on the phone with a friend, and it was one of those phone calls that just kind of kept going, and I was actually making plans with him to come preach at our church, and we were catching up on things and talking, and as we're talking, um, I'm on my cell phone in my study, and I'll never forget it, and I see a phone call coming in. 
And I look at it, and I don't recognize the number, and I ignore it. And so we go back to talking. And then I see another phone call coming in. I said, that's weird. Again, I don't recognize the number. I said, goodness gracious, this is important. I've got to get this done. And, and, um, um, and so I, I, I ignored it again. Well, then I got a third phone call. This time, it was from one of my children's teachers. I had their number stored. And it was right then that it hit me. I'd left my kids at school. And so I said, I got to go. I've left my kids at school. You know, that's what else do you say? And I hung up and I ran out of the office. I told Gene on the way out, left my kids at school. And so I go in and um, it's, it's wonderful. It's a wonderful scene. It's all the people who are ready to go home from work and my kids at the school. <laughs> and, uh, and so I go slinking up with my head down and, and uh, get the kids. And, and I've still not lived it down. Um, among any member of my family. It's brought up frequently from the children. Dad, do you remember that time you left us at school? Uh, yeah, I do. I do remember that. I, I say all this to say, sometimes it's easy to forget something. Even something in... Okay, guys, I can feel it. Cut me a break. Don't. I can feel you judging me. Listen, cut me a break. I only did it twice. So just... Uh, I, need, I need a break here. It is easy even to forget important things. It's, it's easy to do. I, I want you to notice a verse that sort of sticks out in the middle of these two chapters. It's chapter 12, verse 9. It's in the middle of Samuel's speech, and we read earlier the part of the speech where Samuel starts talking to the Israelites about their history. He starts pointing them backwards. I want you to notice something he says about their ancestors. Verse 9, But they forgot the Lord their God. But they forgot the Lord, their God. Brothers and sisters, this morning we turn our attention to the sufficiency of God. Uh, we turn our attention this morning to the fact that God is enough. His sufficiency. We are not those who will forget God, but instead we are those who in all of our ways will give God His primary place. God is enough, and we ought to honor Him as such in all of our ways and all that we do. You see, when we forget God, we begin the habit of God plus blank. God plus blank in all that we do. And, and sometimes that sort of God plus blank mentality can start to even seep into our church. God plus the world. God plus worldly wisdom. God's ways plus some of my ideas and thoughts. God plus blank. God plus X or Y. You see, when God is not enough, countless problems, countless issues arise. This, this morning, I want to warn you against three pitfalls that occur when God is not enough. I, I want to show you three truths this morning to help you Live knowing that God is sufficient. That is, how do we avoid living like God is not enough? And how do we live knowing that God is sufficient? These tr three truths, I think, will help us form and shape our lives around God. Around God's sufficiency so that we will be who God has called us to be. Here's the first point this morning. Here's the first. We must value integrity over security. 
We must value integrity over security. You see, when God is not enough, we're going to value security over integrity. But we don't, we don't think like that. We don't live like that. We want to value integrity over security. God is, the Bible teaches us, our refuge and strength. So we ought to live and we ought to value living rightly and living according to His will and living rightly before Him over anything else. It's not just the basic definition of integrity. Living like God's watching. (laughs) Living knowing God is seeing what we're doing. Living rightly before God and God alone. That's what I mean by integrity here. And we start to see the way in this passage, the way God values integrity. In fact, it's interesting. This is Samuel's swan song. In so many ways, this is Samuel's farewell address to the nation. He's transitioning out of the role of prophet and judge and into the role of prophet alone. So, so whatever political role Samuel might have had earlier in his life, he has now been handed over to the king. He is no longer a judge. He is just a prophet. And he begins this speech about his ministry, his farewell address, his goodbye speech. He begins it with a detail and a defense of the integrity of his ministry. I'm no longer in this role, though I've not died, but he wants to make it very clear, he's saying, but he wants to make it very clear that he's not being ousted because of a moral failure. Whose ox have I taken, he asks them. Whom have I defrauded? You'll see it there in chapter 12, verses 1 through 5. They said, you have not, verse 4, You have not defrauded us or oppressed us or taken anything from any man's hand. And he said to them, The Lord is witness against you, and his anointed, that is the king, is witness against you this day that you have not found anything in my hand. And they said, He is witness. I want you to notice what he does next. He then begins to point them to their own history. Not only his own integrity, but he begins to point them to their own history. The Lord is witness who appointed Moses and Aaron and brought your fathers up out of the land of Egypt. And then in verse 7, Now now therefore stand still, that I may plead with you before the Lord concerning all the righteous deeds of the Lord that He performed for you and your fathers. But he talks about the way that there's been a pattern in Israel's history. From Moses and and their fathers all the way up to himself, who he lists last as one of the judges. There's been a pattern And that we've alluded to it already, but it's worth remembering in verse 9. But they forgot the Lord, their God. God somehow is easy to forget. There's a pattern he reminds them of. But then notice the turning point in verse 12. He's defended his own integrity. He's reminded them of this pattern and God's faithfulness in the past, despite their unfaithfulness. But I want you to notice something in verse 12. And when you saw that Nahash, the king of the Ammonites, came against you, you said to me, No, but a king shall reign over us when the Lord your God was your king. That is, their king would appoint a judge to carry out his will, and they had done a really good job of it. Samuel lists himself among many other judges who had kept Israel safe and kept Israel at peace. But I think you can see the way, and the way Samuel here is highlighting, as they forget the Lord their God, they're valuing security in the face of the threat of Nahash the Ammonite, who came threatening to gouge out 
eyes. But again, notice how Samuel continues his speech. Verses 14 and 15. If you will fear the Lord and serve Him and obey His voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, and if both you and the King who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God, it will be well. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you and your King. Do you see what Samuel's doing? The way he's framing this argument? He's saying your your desire for security has made you forget the Lord your God. It's made you forget that the Lord your God is your king. And now you've added the wickedness of asking for a king. Not that it's a sin to have a king, but your heart behind it was to value security over integrity. And you'll remember perhaps that when they asked for a king, God told Samuel to warn them what the reign of the king would be like. And Samuel warned them it's going to look different than the sort of ministry I've had among you, the sort of leadership I've had among you. Again, Samuel is pointing them there and now to the need for integrity, for walking rightly before God. And I think this is a question that each and every one of us here today really must answer. We must face. I think the author is pressing us with this question. Do we value integrity over security? Is God enough for us to the point that we will set our faces toward integrity no matter what? Now, I want you to know something about integrity, living rightly before God. Man doesn't always see it like that. The world doesn't always see integrity the way God sees integrity. Guess what? I can't see. I can't see your heart. I can't. I can't see all of your circumstances. I can't, I can't know everything you know. I, I don't have your experiences, but God knows all those things and sees all those things. And so when we set our faces toward integrity, no matter what, at times there may be a cost. Even godly people may not be able to see our integrity. Sometimes it will have to be enough for God and God alone to know that we've lived rightly before Him according to His Word. Some of you may have your jobs threatened if you live with integrity. Unfortunately, there are businesses and and people who build wealth and build their business based on a lack of integrity. And some of you in this room may have your job threatened if you refuse to live with integrity. Nationally, in in a broader context, there are people even now who are being forced as Christians to agree with things and to adhere to things that they disagree with. All sorts of different things by their sort of corporate bosses. Again, their jobs are being threatened if they live their lives with Christian integrity. Uh, You may lose money to live with integrity before God. You may choose not to live like the world lives with a wink and a nod on some financial matter and you want to live rightly before God and it may cost you money. You may lose your standing with peers when you live with integrity. I'll tell you what, be in a group of people gossiping at some point and be the person that says, this is gossip, I'm not going to participate and see when you get invited back next. You may lose your place in society when you live with integrity. Some of you may one day even have your lives threatened when you live with integrity. I don't know what the future holds. I don't know. Some of you may be taken to the mission field and you may have to choose 
at some point or another. Who, who knows what the future may look like for you? But in those moments, let's ask ourselves this question. In those moments, will God be enough? He is sufficient. He is enough. But will He be enough for you? In those moments, will you be able to remember that we serve a God who provides for us what we need? Will you be able to remember that we serve a God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills? Will you be able to remember that God is enough because we serve a God who is a friend who sticks closer than a brother? When you lose your place in society, will you be able to remember we serve a God whose kingdom has no end and so I can lose this world so long as I have Christ? When your life's on the line, will you be able to remember that we serve a God who raises dead bodies from the grave? Brothers and sisters, God's people chose security over integrity, but that's not us. We know God is enough. We know God is sufficient. And we choose living rightly before God, no matter the cost. We won't make the same mistake. Second of all, we must value faithfulness over fear. We must value faithfulness over fear. You see, when God is not enough, we will focus on fear rather than faithfulness. Notice over and over in the narrative of Samuel, you're going to see this happening. God's people and other characters are going to choose fear over faithfulness. They're going to be acting out of fear regularly. And in these verses, part of what Samuel is doing is trying to reorient their thinking. Stop focusing so much on security and on fear and instead focus on faithfulness. Notice, interestingly, how Samuel does this, how he tries to reshape the way God's people think. He begins by reminding them of who they truly should fear. Verse 16, now therefore stand still and see this great thing that the Lord will do before your eyes. Is it not wheat harvest today? That's relevant because that's not thunderstorm season. It's not a time when you would normally have a a storm come through. I don't know really what season we would have like that here. Every season's thunderstorm. You know, I couldn't say it's Christmas Day. Notice this storm. No, even Christmas we might have one. Nonetheless, we see this here. There's no normal threat of a thunderstorm. I will call upon the Lord that he may send thunder and rain, and you shall know and see that your wickedness is great, which you have done in the sight of the Lord, and ask him for yourselves a king. So Samuel called upon the Lord, and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day, and all the people, what? Greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. He's trying to reorient their fear. Who should you really Fear, And they begin to see their sins in verse 19. They begin to see repentance. But what does Samuel say to them? Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. You have done all this evil. That is, don't focus on fear. Instead, do what? Focus on faithfulness. 
verses 20 and 21, Do not be afraid, you have done all this evil, yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart, and do not turn aside after empty things that cannot profit or deliver, for they are empty. Don't go toward idols, don't go toward what you can see, don't go toward things. Don't If the crop's not coming in, don't go to the God of the harvest. If the, if the storms are coming in, don't go to the God of the skies. If you're afraid of this, if you're afraid of an army, don't go to the, the idols of armies. Don't go towards your fear. Instead, go to faithfulness to the Lord. Why shouldn't we fear, though? Why, why shouldn't we be afraid? I mean, goodness gracious, Samuel called a thunderstorm up. I would be afraid too, wouldn't you? I would be afraid of the Lord. We should be afraid of the Lord when we're in our sin. But when we are God's people, we ought not to fear, not because of the strength of our faithfulness. I don't know about your faithfulness, but my faithfulness can be very weak. <laughs> My faithfulness is very weak. I struggle to be faithful at all times. Not because of the strength of our faithfulness, not because of how good our works are, but instead don't fear because of the sufficiency of God's grace. Look what verse 22 says. For the Lord will not forsake His people for His great name's sake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for Himself. Notice how Samuel... ends his speech in verses 24 and 25. Only fear the Lord and serve Him faithfully with all your heart. For consider what great things He has done for you, but if you still do wickedly, you shall be swept away, both you and your King. My friends, I want you to know something. We fear the wrong things. We are afraid of the wrong stuff. We're afraid of oppression we're afraid of persecution. We're deathly afraid of just being irrelevant. What if people don't care anymore? There's no, I've learned this about Southern Baptists. They, they fear almost nothing more than irrelevancy. No group of people treasures being the largest Protestant denomination in the United States more than Southern Baptists do. And it's just we're so afraid people might not care anymore. Could that be true of us as well? That we delight in being known, in being relevant. We fear man. We're so afraid of what man thinks, about what man says, about what man cares about. But my friends, I want you to know, all of those fears are ultimately a denial of the sufficiency of God. Because what Samuel is telling God's people and what all of us here need to know is there's really only one primary fear we should care about and then everything else will fall in place. The beginning of all wisdom is the fear of God. All things begin there. God is enough and the fear of God is the only fear we need. It reorients our life from a life of being afraid to a life of faithfulness. Not because we're afraid of God, but like Samuel points out, it's because we recognize who He is and what He has done for us and our desires change from trying to please man or trying to avoid this or trying to make things right or trying to shuffle around all the things we can control and manage. It shifts from trying to deal with being afraid to instead desiring to live faithfully for Him. We see who He is. We see what He's done. And we want to honor and glorify our Father. You see, God's people chose security over integrity. And they chose fear over faithfulness. But with God as our helper, we won't make 
the same mistake. Finally, we must value obedience over circumstances. We, we must value obedience over circumstances. Because when God is not enough, we will value our circumstances over obedience. We'll care more about what's going on around us than we care about what God has said. Chapters 12 and 13, the break there between those two chapters, represent a break in the history of Israel. You go from the time of the judges to the time of the kings. And in particular, in a narrower sense, we go from the, to the, from the end of Samuel's judgeship to the beginning of Saul's kingship. And here in these first few verses, we see another great victory that Saul and his son Jonathan have over the Philistines as they defeat the garrison, the garrison of soldiers at Geba. But I want you to know something about Philistines. They don't like to lose. And so, in response to the loss of this garrison at Geba, they mustered a great army to fight with Israel. And the people realized, verse 6, that they were in trouble. That's what the Bible says. They realized they were in trouble, for the people were hard-pressed. And so, as this great army is amassing around them, you can read the details there. This great army is coming together with superior technology, with superior numbers, superior in every way. The people begin fleeing and hiding. They're willing even to go ahead and lie in a grave and wait. And all those who happen to be left with Saul at this point are trembling with fear. Honestly, you, you really can't imagine circumstances that are much worse, can you? I mean, we've all been through bad circumstances, but we don't have thousands of soldiers surrounding our city waiting to come kill us and take over. Maybe, best case scenario, we become their slaves. We're not there. But guess what? The circumstances were worse. Samuel had told Saul to wait. He had told Saul to wait to offer any sort of sacrifices to the Lord, to wait seven days for his arrival to offer burnt offerings to the Lord. But we can see as the story develops that Saul was focused on circumstances, not obedience. Verses 9 and 10. Samuel didn't come to Gilgal. So Saul said, bring the burnt offerings here to me and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. And as soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came and Saul went out to meet him and greet him. Now, Saul used all sorts of religious language. He tried to explain the circumstances. He does all sorts of things uh, to try to convince. He says, oh, I felt forced to do it. I had to force myself to do it. Every kind of excuse you can imagine to justify disobedience. But I want you to hear Samuel's answer. You have done foolishly. The idea of foolishness in the Bible is not merely about a lack of wisdom. There's a spiritual connotation as well. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Right? And so Samuel's saying, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God with which He commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after His own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be prince over His people. Because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. And then the author leaves us in the tension. The kingdom of Saul is doomed. 
the line of Saul will not continue. A great army is amassed around the people of God. As the narrative continues in this chapter, we see bands of raiders are starting to intrude on Israel. We see raiders coming, and we get a little, in verses 19 through 23, we get a little story about the way that the technology of Israel, in terms of weaponry, is so far behind that of the Philistines. They're in control of the iron to make weapons. And so no one, except for Saul and Jonathan, even has a spear that could even stand up against the Philistines. We're left in dire straits. We're left in a difficult situation. But for those of us here, as we consider these truths, it's important that we recognize that when God is not enough, our circumstances will dictate our lives. When God is not enough and we don't live our lives primarily before God, Every day to determine how to behave. You know what we're going to do? Check and see which way the wind's blowing. See what's happening today. Our circumstances can dictate our lives if we're not careful. You you understand this. You've done this. We've all done this. We can, I know God said, but everything to death. Well, I know God said I'm not supposed to do this, but. I mean, every situation we encounter, we can find ourselves, based on the circumstances, finding a way to rationalize disobedience. But I want you to know, I'm aware. Some of you have terrible circumstances. Some of you are in awful situations. But I want you to know they'll be so much worse if you add sin to them. It, It may not seem like God has a way in the circumstances you're in for you to be faithful and for you to experience His blessings somehow. But I promise you, God's way is better than your way. And I know for a fact God's way is better than sin. Let's ask ourselves these questions today. Are we more concerned with feeling secure? Feeling secure? Not being secure. You are secure in God. But are we more concerned with feeling secure or with integrity before God? Are we more concerned by living at peace without fear, having a docile life? Or are we more concerned with faithfulness before God? Are we more concerned with our circumstances or with obedience to God? You know what I'm afraid of? I'm afraid that some of us are going on about our lives focused on whatever it is in front of us, talking on the phone, Enjoying our afternoon. So focused on what we can see. I'm worried about this. I'm afraid of that. There's this challenge here. There's there's that struggle there. All the while, perhaps, we've forgotten about what matters most. Maybe some of us have forgotten about God. About what He has said. About what He has done about what He has promised? What if the answers to all these things you're looking at, all these things that are troubling you, all these things that are weighing down your heart and your mind, what if I told you the answer is there in God? God is enough. He is sufficient. I challenge you today, my friends, look up, wake up, look to Christ, look to His gospel, and see how sufficient it truly is. What security is there that you need that Jesus has not bought with his blood 
What fears are there that you have that have not been dealt with finally and fully in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ? What circumstances are there that you face that are worse than the cross that our Lord Jesus Christ stared down? What circumstances do you face that Jesus has not overcome? Because if He was able to come back from the grave, how much more shall we be overcomers through Him and through His gospel? What is there in this world that one good resurrection won't fix? Brothers and sisters, don't forget God. Don't forget His Christ. Do not forget the Holy Spirit that you've been given. And do not forget that God and His gospel are enough. They're truly enough. I want to offer an invitation this morning. If you've never put your trust and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, He is truly enough. No matter what you're going through, no matter what you're experiencing, I want you to know, you, Jesus has overcome the world. You can find peace and hope in the Lord Jesus even today. I believe if you'll turn from your sins and repentance and turn to God in faith through Jesus, you will be saved. I offer you this altar or right where you are to respond to God in faith even today. Second of all, You may be a believer and you need some moments to pray or someone to talk to. This time is available for you. Right where you are, you come talk to me or just come straight to the altar. And finally, you may be looking for a church home. What a joy it would be for me today to talk to you about what it means to be a member here at First Baptist Church. After this prayer, I want to invite you to come. Let's pray together.